cast a foul. I forgot to put my pulpit back. It's embarrassing. Well, uh, I'm uh, excited to be here. It's kind of International Month at Chapel Street Church because uh, last week we had an Australian preaching. This week we have a former British man. Who knows? We'll be preaching next week. Who knows? We'll come from all over. Maybe one of Bruce's friends will come and uh, preach to us. That was great, by the way. I'm so glad I caught the end of that, just to praise together as a church for our workers around the world and hear the stories of what God's doing. Isn't it incredible? Uh, similar to what we shared a couple of weeks ago, what we as a church get to be a part of, that what God's doing in the earth, he's inviting us to be a part of it. It's incredible. Hey, well, we're coming up on one of my wife's favorite times of year. I get a little grumpy in the winter, but my wife is very excited for Christmas. She's already talking to me about getting the Christmas lights ready. I said, I refuse to do it before Thanksgiving, but we'll see. Yes, right. Who gave me the amen? Come on. Bob Coon. He knows. If you are out there and you're putting the decorations up, it's okay. I love you. God's forgiving and merciful, but we don't need to be skipping over Thanksgiving. It's a great holiday. Did you know actually Thanksgiving is very healthy for you? It's a healthy time of year. There was a study done recently on gratitude. Uh, I want to tell you about it because I was reading about it this week as I was preparing for this way of gratitude and really struck by just how much of an impact gratitude has on our lives. There was two psychologists called Robert Emmons in California and Dr. Michael Cullo at the University of Miami, and they decided to do a research study on gratitude. So what they did is they took three different groups of people, kind of very diverse group from all over the United States. And in one of those groups, they said, we want you for every day to write a few sentences uh, about what you're grateful for, what is going on in your life that you're thankful for. And then the next group, they wrote about things that irritated them, uh, things that frustrated them. I'm sure there was no shortage of things that could go on that list. And then the last group, uh, they kind of just wrote about events in their life with no particular uh, angle on whether they were good or bad. They just kind of retold the story of what happened to them. And they did this for 10 weeks straight. And at the end of those 10 weeks, uh, it was discovered that those who wrote about gratitude were more optimistic, felt better about their lives. Surprisingly, they even had uh, less visits to the physician. They exercised more. Uh, and so it, overall, it was discovered that gratitude had a tremendous impact on your life, on your body even. In Harvard Health, they wrote this, in positive psychology research, gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. I think psychologists are just discovering what God already told us was true, that gratitude is extremely healthy that it's something that we should cultivate in our lives. And so it's no surprise that for the people of the way, the early Christians, gratitude was a huge part of what defined them as a group of people. We read again and again in Scripture how even that when they were persecuted, when they were oppressed, when terrible things afflicted them, the Christians, the people of the way, they were filled with gratitude. There's even moments where they would be uh, thrown out of a prison after having been beaten and they would rejoice and thank God for having counted them worthy to suffer with Christ. I think that's a level of gratitude that few of us ever attain to. So where did that come from? How could ordinary people like you and me discover this kind of gratitude? What is true gratitude? I think going into Thanksgiving week, we need more than a forced set of thank yous around a table. We need more than exercises in, where we, in which we kind of compel ourselves to try and be thankful amidst difficult circumstances. What we need is the source of true gratitude. What we need is for our hearts and our minds to rediscover that which can bring gratitude about in our lives. 
And God's word has an answer to that question for us. There's an account we're gonna read this morning from Luke 17 about 10 lepers who came to Jesus for healing. Here's what happens. Luke 17, starting in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance, lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. I want to look at this little account today. We've probably heard it once or twice in our lives before. It's a popular story. But I want to look at it through three lenses to help us discover where gratitude can really come from. We want to look at a merciful act, a grateful response, and a true healing. And I want to look first at a merciful act. Some of you guys know I lived in uh, Texas for the first eight years that I was here in the U.S., It was a great time. They had much better winters. Uh, And one of the things I loved to do down in Texas was go uh, float a tube on the River Brazos. It was great. The Brazos River was not great. It was pretty gross. But it was wonderful to get out there in the summertime and to to just kind of tube, relaxing a couple of hours down the river. Someone would drop you off at the start, then pick you up at the end, and you just float in between. And you'd spend the whole day. We would bring like an ice chest of uh, snacks and drinks and put that on a tube of its own. Someone would tie it to their wrist uh, and then you'd float on down the river. I was elected to be the guy tying it to my wrist, which I was very happy about. I want quick access to the goodies. But we were floating down this river and uh, it gets a little choppy and there's this rock kind of right off to the side and the ice chest goes this way around it and I go this way around it. And so that little rope snags on my wrist. At first I'm thinking, okay, this is a little embarrassing, but we'll, we'll figure out how to get this off. But after a couple of minutes, I'm realizing I, I'm unable to get this off. The river's pulling so tight on both sides that I, I don't have enough leverage to kind of pull it over the top. So I start to panic a little bit. I'm looking at my hand. It's starting to change colors, right, which is never a good sign. So I'm starting to panic a little bit. And all this, I'm thinking, okay, this is the hand that I play guitar with. Is that it? Am I done now? Am I never going to become Bon Jovi? I'm devastated by this. And so right as I'm kind of panicking and I'm feeling this, I see this guy right by the edge of the river. And he, in his best Texas Southern comfort accent, says, boy, you need some help? I said, yes, sir, please, please come get me off this rock. Uh, And so he jumps in. He pulls it over the top. But in that moment, I discovered I had a very great need. And praise God, there was someone there who was able to help me. And that's really where gratitude begins. It's an understanding of two things. Our desperate need and then the mercy of God. Our need and then his provision. That's how the story starts. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. An understanding of our need and an understanding of God's mercy. That's what happens in that moment. You see, Jesus is passing through a particular area between Samaria and Galilee. I've got a map here I can show you of this. So Samaria, you'll see on the left there, that blue area, and Galilee right above it. So Jesus was passing right between those two areas. And this was an area where you were bound to head into some uh, unsavory people. 
Uh, lepers, if you didn't know, in the antiquity, they were forced to be on the outskirts of the city. They had to live outside of the city uh, boundaries because of their disease. And in Israel, it wasn't simply because they had a skin disease. It was because it made them unclean for worship. So if you were uh, a Samaritan, uh, you couldn't even come into the temple which was pretty rough because even Gentiles, even people from outside the nation of Israel, there was areas for them in the temple to come visit, but not for Samaritans because they were so unclean, they couldn't come and worship alongside Jews. And so Jesus is traveling through this area and he runs into these lepers. Lepers who probably understood I can't go near this person. I can't go near the people who travel through here. In fact, they, would, they were told that they had to shout unclean, unclean as they were traveling through the area. So Jesus heads through knowing he's going to run into these people. Can you imagine what those people would have felt? How desperate their need would have been. They had nothing else. They had no one else. And yet perhaps they'd heard the story of a Jesus of Nazareth who earlier in Luke's gospel were told touched a leper and made him well. And this story had traveled around Israel. And these lepers, forced to the outskirts of the city, forced to be outside of the people of Israel, hear a story about a man who might be able to help them. So what do they do? They go find him. They know the rules and so they stand at a distance. They don't approach Jesus but they shout out to him as loud as they can. They say, have mercy on us. Do for us what you've done for so many other people because we, we have a desperate need. How many others around Jesus had needs that could be dealt with? Addictions, shame, broken relationships, greed, bitterness. But for every one that came to him, like these lepers, 10 more refused. These lepers are somewhat unique. It's easy for us to read the Bible and, and turn through the pages of crowds of people coming to be healed, coming to see Jesus. But actually, the truth is, for as many as came to Jesus, there were more who didn't see their need. And in fact, we're told that it's actually, Jesus highlights people like this because there was such a small cluster of people who, who truly understood their need. It was only the most broken, only the most lowly. And Jesus says, actually, everybody has these needs. Even amidst tragedy and pain, I want to point out that these lepers had something that many other people didn't have, an understanding of their need. They had a gift that so many other people didn't have. That's why John Dixon reminded us last week when he told us about the Beatitudes, he talked about Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 3 says this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, aware of your need. Do you know that one of the kindest things that God can do for you is to make you aware of your need? Is to help you see the things in your life that are broken, that need healing, that need mercy. Now to be clear, I'm not saying that for these lepers, oh great deal, I'm glad that they have leprosy because now they can understand their need. That's not at all what we're saying. It's horrific. Their suffering is unimaginable. And yet God is so good that he doesn't let that define them. God doesn't let the, the horror and the suffering be the end of their story. He's so good that he actually comes into that brokenness. He comes into that evil and that suffering and he uses it, he twists it into something that's beautiful and good so that they can come and know him. 
God is so good that he can bring fruit from withered branches. He can bring life out of death. And you see, you and I, we live in a culture that is, it's the most comfortable on planet Earth right now. We have more than everyone else. And so we are so blind to our needs. We've been inoculated against our needs. We've had every single one of our needs in lots of ways numbed out by the distractions, the busyness, the comfort, the ease. And yet it will always be true that you and I are needy people. Even if we don't see it, you and I have needs. And it's only in moments of complete brokenness that we finally see. C.S. Lewis once said that God whispers to us in our pleasures, but that he shouts to us in our suffering and our pain. That's why Paul writes in Romans 7, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I see my life. I see the brokenness of it. I see the sin, the suffering, the need. Who will save me from this? And Paul says, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says in the same breath, I know my need but I also know a God that can meet it. Gratitude doesn't just involve an understanding of our need, it it requires an understanding of God's mercy. See, because if you know you have a need, if you know you're in distress, you're in pain, you're in struggle, but you don't know that there's someone who can do something about that, what does that do to you? It makes you angry, it makes you bitter, it makes you frustrated, it makes you hopeless. Because all day you'll carry the burden of the need without the knowledge that there's someone who can meet that need. One of the worst lies, one of the worst lies that you and I can ever believe about God is that he does not want to show us mercy. Do you know that God wants to show you mercy more than you want to have mercy? Do you know that God's grace and love and mercy towards you is boundless, is without measure, is unfathomable? The Bible tells us God's rich in mercy. And I want to remind us what Dr. Dixon reminded of us last week, that Mercy is not, it is not the withholding of punishment that someone deserves. Actually, biblical mercy is the giving of, of goods to meet a need. It's more like charity. So when God talks about being rich in mercy, he's not saying he's gonna withhold punishment for you. He's saying he wants to give you what you need. When God's rich in mercy, he wants to provide. He wants to meet your needs. It's an unchangeable part of who God is. Delights to show mercy, loves to show mercy. And these men, these lepers, they knew that. Because they didn't just say, we have leprosy. They said, there's a man who can do something about it. They trusted that God would be merciful to them. And their belief was rewarded. Friends, if only we could believe as those lepers did, that God wants to show us mercy as much as we need it. If only we would approach the throne of grace with confidence saying, here is the one who can actually do something about the burdens and the pain that I'm feeling. Here is someone who wants to answer, who wants to meet me, who wants to show up. Just yesterday, I was writing this particular part of the sermon. I was uh, sitting, typing it out, and Janae walked in, and we started talking about our kids. And there's a lot of different things going on in our kids' lives right now, in our lives as parents, and we felt the need of it whether it was character issues that our kids need to work on, whether it was their anxieties about school and different things in life, whether it's the stuff that's going on around them, we felt the need of it. And we talked and we lamented together. We said, oh, what about this? What about this, man? I'll just... And I'm, I'm reading this, this text and, and thinking, man, we are so focused on our needs. Where's the focus on the one who wants to meet those needs for us? Where's the focus for us as parents to stop and say, hang on a second. We do have great needs. We have incredible needs, but we have a God that wants to meet them. 
We have something that so many other people are unaware of, someone who can care for us and provide for us. What are your needs this morning? What are your longings? What are your burdens? What are the things that you are carrying on your back, hoping and longing that God would just come and show mercy to you? God wants to bring the balm of his grace into your life. You only need to understand your need and trust in his mercy. When you do, you'll have a grateful response. A grateful response to the next moment in this story. Now, I, uh, I really like to give good gifts. Uh, I, I kind of have an addiction to, to seeing the pleasure that someone else will get in what I've given them. That's, I know that's a little egotistical. I'm like, I like to be saying, yes, I got the best gift for someone. I, it doesn't always work out. And in fact, just recently, uh, I was thinking through gifts for Janine. I was like, oh, would you like this? And she was like, no, I wouldn't like that. I'm glad you didn't get me that. So, so there's lots of times that I should probably think about it. But there was one time I remember where I feel like I really nailed this. My sister is really good at giving gifts, really good at giving gifts. She gives good gifts every year. And so I decided I'm, I'm going to get her back. So it came into my mind, I'm going to write a poem for my sister about how much I love her, right? Which is a gutsy move. Not all people are into poetry, especially British people who are very serious and unemotional. And my sister especially, she's not an emotional person. But for some reason, I thought this would be a great idea. So I get it, wrap it up. I put it on a little picture of me and her when we were kids. And I give it to her Christmas morning and I sit. And she kind of opens it and just stares at it like this. And I was like, shoot. She doesn't like it. And she thinks I'm a weirdo because I wrote her a poem. And then all of a sudden she starts crying. And then I think, oh man, I've really messed up. She's devastated. And she comes over and she gives me a hug. My sister never gives me hugs. She tells me it's one of the best gifts she's ever given or ever received. And that, that feeling in me, that feeling of knowing I have given a gift that has brought delight to someone. And knowing that, the, seeing the joy that the gratitude was bringing in my sister's life, that was a wonderful feeling. That's something that I chase often. I think I probably I would guess a lot of us do. Do you know that God loves to give good gifts? He delights in it. He chases that, that feeling of, of giving good gifts to his kids. The problem is that sometimes we don't see them. Sometimes we don't see what he's giving us. But thankfully in this story, someone does. Luke 17, starting in verse 15, says, One of them, one of these lepers, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. When we understand our need, and we understand God's mercy, it creates gratitude in us. And he's four things that gratitude kind of has the appearance of. This is what gratitude sounds like, looks like, feels like. First of all, gratitude is expressed. Gratitude is expressed. This man doesn't just marvel to himself. He doesn't just say, wow, this is incredible. This is amazing. It, it takes control of him. It bursts out of him, and he starts singing praises to God immediately. Actually, the Greek for when it says he sings in a loud voice is megasphone. What does that sound like? Megaphone. That's exactly what it means. It means he was proclaiming as loud as he possibly could that God had done something for him. He couldn't keep it quiet. What about in your life? Does Thanksgiving look some, like something that can be kept quiet? Is it something that you can wrap up real neatly and file into the details of your life or does it overpower you? Does it change you? In this account, the man literally changes directions. He turns around. He's on his way to the temple doing exactly what Jesus says. But he's so filled with gratitude, he has to stop and turn around. You know, if your life remains largely the same 
after hearing about the gift of God's grace and mercy, if you still chase the same things, if you follow the same patterns, if you react the same way, perhaps there's room for you to come back to the grace of God and think about it again because maybe you've missed how good it is. Maybe you have not yet understand, understood the full weight of God's love for you. True gratitude is unable to be silent or still. And gratitude is also specified. It's expressed, but it's also specified. It's not just some general feeling of thankfulness that this man has. It names exactly what's been given. Goes back to our understanding of need because if gratitude is not simply kind of saying that God is generally good, it's that he's good to me. It's not that God is generally kind and loving and merciful and and gentle. It's that he's all of those things to me, to Andrew Griffiths in particular, and to you in particular. How often do you apply the good news of the gospel to yourself? as opposed to just hearing it as an idea that's out there for all mankind. How often do you remind yourself that your sin is forgiven, that your needs have been seen and heard, that you have the ear of the living God, that you have been adopted into God's family, that he calls you a son or a daughter, that his spirit dwells in your heart to strengthen you and uphold you and to carry you through everything that you go through, that he calls you beloved and sought after, that you have been invited into the redemption of the whole earth, that you, little you, has been invited to play an integral role in God's redemption of the entire earth. He's invited you to carry that, that you are an instrument of hope to others, that you have been promised an inheritance of Christ, that your name is written in the book of life. Do you think about those things? Do you let your heart rest in those things, knowing that that's what's been given to you? If you hear me saying those things this morning, you hear this little voice and you saying, well, that sounds great, but I don't feel like that's true for me. I do trust this Jesus. I see my need. I want his mercy. But all those things that you just read, I don't feel a single one of them. May I encourage you this morning that you don't give thanks for those things because they feel true. You give thanks because they are true. It doesn't matter whether you feel them. There's many times in life we won't feel those benefits, but praise God, they don't change because I don't feel them. They don't go away because I don't feel them. They're always true. When I'm at my worst and I feel like I'm so undeserving of God's mercy, God's mercy doesn't leave. It doubles down. (laughs) Me too. Gratitude to God is also prioritized. It's prioritized around Jesus. This man, he doesn't go on his way to the temple. He doesn't say, okay, thank you, universe, for finally seeing me and healing me with my suffering. He doesn't thank the priest. He doesn't even thank himself for saying, wow, I really picked the right guy today. No, he turns back and he says, this thanks needs to be directed to one place and one place only, and it's Jesus. He's the one that deserves the praise for this. He's the one that deserves the thanks for this. Where's your thanks directed? And lastly, gratitude is unifying. There's a throwaway sentence that often doesn't mean as much as it should to us right at the end of this. He comes back, he praises, he throws himself at the feet of Jesus and then it says one little sentence, and he was a Samaritan. Now you and I might read that in our modern ears and go, okay, great, thanks for telling us where he's from, that's interesting. But for anyone hearing this story for the first time, this story would have stopped dead right there. 
If you were perhaps hearing Luke tell this story for the first time, if you were hearing this, you would have heard that sentence and froze and say, wait, who? Who was he? A Samaritan? Because in Jesus' day, Samaritans, as we've already mentioned, are looked down pretty, pretty badly. There was deep racial division between Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans were kind of a, an offshoot of ancient Jews. When their kingdom had fallen apart, when Israel fell apart, the, the Samaritans were those that had kind of married with other tribes, other cultures around them, changed their political allegiance, changed the way that they worship. And so there was deep hostility. As I'd mentioned before, it, even in temples, there wasn't room for Samaritans. There was room for Gentiles. There was room for people from Greece and other areas, not for Samaritans. You were considered unclean if you were a Samaritan. So this person who's suffering, he's suffering double because he's not just a leper, he's a Samaritan leper. Even after his healing, there's many people who wouldn't want anything to do with him. And in fact, some people think that he might not have even been able to go to the temple to give thanks to the priest because Samaritans weren't allowed in, clean or not. And yet his gratitude and what God's doing in his heart, it brings him to Jesus. And this Samaritan, the one that everybody else would have written off, gratitude changes him and brings him into the family of God. And even the ones that we say are far off are now close. Think about gratitude in your life. Is it expressed? Is it specified? Is it prioritized? Is it unifying? Gratitude is a radical change in the perspective to understand that God's loving us and giving gifts to us continually and that he's worthy of praise for that. Told in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation. There's no shadow due to change. God's love deserves gratitude because it is so abundantly generous. And when we grasp that, when we understand that, when we see who God really is, not the caricature that we make up of him, not the version that we hope he is, but we're not quite sure, but when we see him as he really is, it brings true healing into our lives. And that's what makes the final moments of this account beautiful and tragic. Because Jesus answered in Luke 17, starting in verse 17, we're not 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Shocker at the end of this story is that only one of 10 comes back. Only one out of 10. Jesus healed them all. He showed mercy to them all. He didn't withhold himself from any of them. And yet only one comes back. And Jesus highlights two very important things. First one, no one but the foreigner. And does this sound at least at first maybe a little insulting like Jesus is disappointed? Like you? You're the one who's gonna say thank you? Man, is it only the foreigner? That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying this for our benefit and probably the benefit of his disciples who were watching. He wants to say, do you see which one got it? Not the one you were expecting. Which one came back? The foreigner, the Samaritan. He's pointing out the only one who truly comprehended what had happened was the one that no one else expected. He got it. But what did he get? What did this one get that the others didn't get? Because I'm sure there's no way you can walk away from leprosy not thankful in some way. This one, though, his thanks opened his eyes to see something. He saw that Jesus was not like other people. 
I'm told that he sings his praise to God and then he comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus. Praising God at the feet of Jesus. Do you know what that means? This leper thinks that Jesus is God. He's not just another healer. He's not just another prophet. And then Jesus even receives this praise because he's saying, you're praising God and you're doing it at my feet. So yes, you have seen rightly, I am God. You notice that at the start of this story, when these lepers come at a distance, they stand and they call out to Jesus and it says, Jesus turned and he saw them. But how many of them saw him? One. He saw every single one of them. He saw everything that was going on in life, all of their needs, all of their burdens, but only one of them could see him. Do you see Jesus as he sees you? Are you happy enough to receive the blessing of God apart from Jesus? Or do you believe, like that one leper, there is no blessing apart from Jesus? His gift, his thankfulness, wasn't because he'd lost a skin disease, it was because he'd found God. He'd found the Son of God there for him. What do you want more? The things that Jesus can provide you with? Or Jesus himself? What represents heaven and paradise and joy to you? Is it getting a lot of things from God or is it getting God himself? And Jesus says something else important. He says, your faith has made you well. Now we might be thinking, seems pretty obvious what he's saying is, hey, you've had faith and so now your leprosy's gone, your skin disease is gone. But actually, the words that Jesus uses for made well are different than some of the others that we've read. Earlier in the passage, it said he's cleansed, he's healed. And they all have their own Greek words. But this one at the end is a different Greek word. It's sozo. And what that means is it has this deeper biblical sense of healing and restoration and cleansing. It's kind of a, a rescue from eternal destruction. What Jesus is saying is you have seen something different than the rest. You've trusted in something different than the rest. And that has led to you receiving something different than the rest. It's not just your leprosy. See, his gratitude uh, isn't leading to his healing. His healing's leading to his gratitude. And what is the real healing? Luke 7 can help us understand. Let me read this little parable of Jesus talking about two debtors. When a woman's weeping at Jesus' feet and he tells his story, he says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. And when they couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you've judged rightly. You've seen. And then turning to the woman who's weeping at Jesus' feet, he says to Simon, do you see this woman? Which again is such a great phrase. Do you see her? Because she sees me. I ended your house. You give me no water for my feet. She's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You give me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she hasn't ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who's forgiven little loves little. He's not saying she's been appreciative, so I'm going to forgive her. He's saying she understands how much I've really done for her. And so her love for me is overflowing. The same is true for the leper. 
He came back because he saw something that the others didn't. The other nine didn't see that this Jesus, he hadn't just cleansed them from a skin disease. He'd cleansed them from a brokenness that was deep inside. One of them saw that. And he came back full of thankfulness and praise and gratitude because he knew Jesus had given him so much more than his physical health. The leper had grasped that Jesus had done something for him far greater. Do you believe that today? Do you believe as you come to hear about this Jesus, as you come to hear stories about him in church this morning, that you yourself are like one of these 10? For one reason or another, you have felt a need in yourself and you've thought, perhaps somewhere in church this morning, I might find some mercy for this. Maybe this Jesus can give me what I need. So you've come. And as has Jesus not offered you mercy? The same way that he did to these men. Has he not said to you, your, my grace is yours, my mercy is yours, my love is yours. He has seen you, but do you see him? Gratitude is not true if it doesn't lead you back to Jesus. It's fleeting. Trying to have some general sense of thankfulness that is disconnected from the giver of everything you have. It's not true gratitude because true gratitude is centered on Jesus. If you're struggling this Thanksgiving to feel thankful, then I want you to do something for me. I want you to set your eyes on the Jesus that we presented with in scripture who loves to show you mercy, who sees your needs and who has in himself made himself available to you for every need that you could possibly have to carry every burden with you, to heal every wound, to bind up your broken heart. He sees you and he's boundless in mercy towards you. Let him give you reasons to rejoice and to sing in a loud voice. Come to him, fall at his feet and let him open your eyes to see him as well as he sees you. We're gonna close this morning with a unique exercise. We're gonna invite Stetson up to lead us in this. Because I want to take a moment to reflect. As we close this series, as we head into Thanksgiving, as we reflect on this way of gratitude, I think it would be good for us as the people of God to just rest and to be grateful together, to set our eyes on Jesus. And that's what Stetson's going to lead us through. So I'm going to hand over to him. I'm going to worship and be grateful together as a church. Well, as we close this morning, I hope you have been blessed, encouraged, because uh, that's what we want to do in this place. We want to turn our eyes back to the one who's loved us and let him fill our hearts up. And especially this week for Thanksgiving, I hope that as you gather as families around your tables, no matter what's going on, that you would know his great love for you. Just as a reminder as we close, if there's any way we can be praying for you, that's what we're about here. Uh, we want to be praying for you. We want to be caring for you. So please come forward. I'd love to pray with you. We have members of our prayer team here who would love to pray with you. And the other thing I want to mention is the one exception I make for putting decorations up early is our giving tree out in the lobby. Because that's a great way to love and serve our neighbors. Uh, it's for the families over at Schneider Elementary School. So before you go today, we'd love for you to stop by, pick a tag off the tree. You can read the instructions there and take some of those home. Uh, we want to gather over the next few weeks just some gifts to give to families in need across the street. So please uh, make sure you do that before you leave. But now let me leave you with this morning's benediction. The words of James, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God, we give thanks today in your name, knowing that you will never change.
It's in your name that we go. Amen.